Welcome to the Cancel This Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Sautel. This show is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to hit the topics of today head on, but use a biblical perspective along the way with some fun and encouragement included. There is a good chance some of the issues and stories we talk about on this podcast are going to rile up the so-called cancel culture running amok in this fallen world full of broken people. But check this out. I really don't care. As a fireman of 22 years, I responded to much louder, darker, and scarier scenes than anything these folks can throw our way. So sit back, relax, turn the volume down just a bit because I have a tendency to be loud and enjoy the ride. So today, my guest is Lucas Miles, Pastor Lucas Miles. He is a trusted voice in the American church who addresses challenging topics in theology, politics, and culture. He hosts Faith Wires, the Lucas Miles Show, and co-hosts the Church Boys podcast. He is also an author, but more importantly, a husband and an all-around awesome guy. Lucas, welcome to the show. Jason, good to see you again. And uh, yeah, I think last time we talked, you were uh, you were on the Church Boys with us, so it's, it's good to uh, good to you know join you. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, man. You guys are a, you guys are a crazy, awesome group. It is a chaotic, sure. chaotic show, but always a good time. <laughs> yeah, I walked away, and my wife said, "How was it?" I said, "I really don't know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's usually the answer every episode. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, anyways, Lucas, the reason I invited you on to the Cancel This podcast is because I know you've written another book, but the Christian Left: How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. And I'm I'm going to hold it up here, you guys. Now, I, disclaimer. I'm not a huge book reader, all right? It's got to be a really cool topic, something that convicts me, challenges me, and it has to start off hitting me right away, or I just kind of set it off to the side. With that being said, man, I'm just going to ask you, what was your heart for writing this book, and what was your reason for writing The uh, Christian Left? You know, I, I've seen, you know, what the New York Times called this... this uh, um ascendant liberal Christianity, this rise in, you know, what I write as the Christian left that has not just invaded culture. You know, I, I expect unbelievers outside of the church to to do what unbelievers do. You know, they're not going to necessarily follow God's word or ways because they don't necessarily know them. They haven't been introduced to them. But when I started seeing the church and and major churches around this country, denominations, et cetera, start to drift into progressive ideology, mm-hmm. liberalism, starting to uh, um, attract kind of Marxist ideals to them, uh, critical race theory, all these different things. I just felt like that that I needed to, uh, I really felt like the Lord was leading me into that conversation to, to put out a book that I would hope would help people navigate through some of the challenging cultural issues today. And really right. kind of help determine like how they can stay close to God's word, stay close to Christian orthodoxy in sort of this ever-changing world. So that was kind of the heart going into it. Uh, mm-hmm. It so- certainly evolved along the way. It, it was a number one uh, bestseller on Amazon, right. Christian, top Christian leadership book of the year for the first right. six months of uh, 2021. So it's been really exciting and just opened up a lot of doors. So awesome. And you know, being myself, I was born and raised in California and people immediately go, Ooh, and I'm like settle down. I live in California. I am not of California. Okay. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of like not of this world type of thing, but you know, I, I am in the midst of it every day. I mean, with, with politics, with everything that you mentioned in there and you know, this, this weird worldly theology that people are trying to interject in the Bible, man, it's crazy what I see. And with that being said, as you know, I spent 22 years as a fireman, so I'm not a professional note taker. Here's my notes right here. And I'm just going to plug into this. And I'm, I'm going to go into something here that caught Let's me do it. right from chapter one, the Trojan horse. Let's go, man. I mean, just looking at the way that you wrote this and how the world is trying to sneak things in purposely. And let's be honest, man, I see a lot of stuff coming in that's not fully on purpose, but it's also because people truly haven't spent the time to learn God's infallible word. They don't have pastors, elders, people above them, the the whole setup that God says we need to properly learn his word. You know, it's people, oh, well, I have a Bible, I have myself, now I'm the church. Like, uh, 
okay, we, we have a, I see where you're at with that, but you're young. And so sometimes I see a lot of youngness bring some false theology into church. I'll be honest, I, for one, when I go back and read my early writings, because I didn't come to Christ until I was about 28, you know, I saw a lot of stuff that my heart was in the right direction. I do believe my heart was being led by Jesus, but my flesh was deciphering what I was reading wrong. So you see purposeful, obviously, which I do, but do you also see sometimes some accidental weak theology that can be uh, the Trojan horse too? Yeah, so that's a great question. So when we talk about progressive Christianity or the Christian left, it's important to recognize that there's a spectrum here. That, you know, we have maybe more extreme examples like, say, uh, some of the political figures that are uh, sort of flying this this uh, banner of Christianity right. while, you know, really introducing very radical Marxist, you know, ideals. Right. We also have some evangelical Christians that I believe know the Lord. Um, you know, I, I, I never want to assume somebody's salvation, but I would I right. would assume are saved. Uh, and but they have bought in some lies regarding culture, mm-hmm. uh, regarding uh, politics, regarding some of these things that has sort of begun to shift their faith and their presentation of the gospel mm-hmm. to something maybe that's a little bit skewed. And so, you know, we have kind of that extreme and, you know, we find people within progressive Christianity or the Christian left kind of throughout that. And I think to, to some degree, we all have to fight against the adaptation into our lives of per, you know progressivism. Um, as we go on through life, there's always new ideas that come at us, and we right. always have to weigh those things, take every thought captive. And it's it's it, you know there's times that something gets past the goalie, and right. uh, and yeah, you know, we miss it, and we have to go back later and kind of search our heart and really right. start to ask some of those tough questions. Right. No. And and that's what I love about it is the way that you explain it, because there's so many things that we want to be true that are true, but again, are twisted. And I'm I'm not going to go page by page to your book, but let's check this out, man. Just in the Trojan horse section, Jesus accepts everyone. Okay. <laughs> yes. It sounds so spiritual, right? And, it sounds right. so spiritual. Right, exactly. So let's talk about that. Jesus accepts everyone, man. I'm a Christian. I want to believe this. So as believers, and and I will say, you know, what and I'm I'm kind of a church history geek, so I spend mm-hmm. a lot of time uh, you know, reading in that space, is that you know, we have two thousand years of church history that really show us, not to mention the biblical record itself, which I believe is inerrant and authoritative in our lives. Mm -hmm. And and what we see is that, yes, Jesus died while we were yet sinners. And so the the movement of God to redeem humanity happened while we were still in a sinful state, Mm -hmm. and he provided for our salvation, or at least the means for our salvation, through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. That does not mean, though, so yeah, in that sense, Jesus does have acceptance, right. uh, uh, at least available for all people. Right. But in order to be accepted in the beloved, as, as Scripture calls mm-hmm. it, we have to actually receive, by grace through faith, the work of Jesus on the cross, and part of that is acknowledging our need for a Savior. I can't right. just philosophically say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I, I believe that this is how God created me, you know, to be angry or to be an alcoholic or to, you know, to, right. to have some sort of divergent, you know, sexuality or gender or something like that. And and because that is that is failing to recognize my depravity and my right. need for redemption. And so therefore, I'm sort of canceling out the work on the cross and negating that. And so, yes, does Jesus love everybody? Absolutely. Did he die for everybody? Yes, absolutely. But we are only saved. We only become God's children right. when we receive his work by grace through faith, through the recognition of our sin and our need for redemption. Right. It's the the truly being convicted of sin. So like with me walking 27 years in the dark, well, I don't claim to be a pastor, a preacher, priest, anything like that. But what I do like to say is, yeah, I truly feel I've been called to evangelize, you know, because I look back into that darkness. I actually fall back into it. I look into it and I say, wow, it was horrible. And then the truth of scripture becomes real because the day that the Holy Spirit became upon me and and I said, yes, Jesus, I'm quote, all in, man. You know, I accepted the whole gospel message starting in Genesis 1 all the way through through the the revelation to John as, as my belief things started to change. 
and the truth started to come out and, and then the growth started to happen. You know, so so what I try to do is explain it to people in in a layman's term of like you were saying, you ha- we're all his creation, right? And he wants us all, but you have children of God. And then you have those who are still dead, right? Because before I became alive in Christ, I was truly dead. It's not like Jesus was a life raft just floating by and said, hey, come on over, hop on in. And, you know, I'm going to keep saving you over and over again. No, it was like he dropped down to the bottom of the ocean, pulled me up, rescued me, breathed life into me, made me new, which then my DNA started craving more of him. So now I am a child of God, you know? And so, so when I look at Jesus accepts everyone, I see it twisted so much. So I appreciate you bringing in your, your perspective on that because I'm so on board with that. Now, here's another one I have been seeing an uptick on lately. And it says, the way you write it is Jesus would never get in the way of the love between two people. So I'm seeing it broken down as Jason, love is love. That's not like, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Let's talk about that. So the Bible, first off, says that God is love. So the definition, it's really the only place where God is defined like that, where it says that God is love in 1 John. Now, mm-hmm. it, it never says love is God, okay? That is a, that's, a different, that's a different concept, a different presentation of this. Um, certainly true love comes from God. Um, but, but the way in which I believe love is defined in Scripture, it tells us in, in the book of John, that the law was given by Moses, but that mm-hmm. grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So I believe that that love is the embodiment of grace and truth simultaneously, uh, sort of being presented or, or uh, um, you know, uh, really entering into this world. And so it, when we love others, we love them through that that same model of we want to utilize grace and truth. I always say this: if you just uh, elevate a a sort of uh, a concept of grace and to the exclusion of truth, you'll end up a progressive. Right. You'll end up accepting everything. This permissivism, you know, uh, uh, libertinism would be, you know, kind of the, the older term for that. And, and if you have, if you elevate truth at the exception of, you know, with, with, at the expense of grace and you just kind of elevate truth above everything else and you really ignore this, this aspect of grace, mm-hmm. you'll end up a bigot. You'll end up a Pharisee. Right. You'll end up legalistic. Right. And so the only way in which love is manifest is when both of those things are fully presented. And so the way we do that, you know, in in the example that you're referencing there from the book, is that, you know, we see there's a tendency to sort of redefine uh, things like gender, sexuality, um, you know, uh, and even, you know, even in in heterosexual relationships, you have people that are just sort of condoning, you know, uh, um, you know, sleeping around or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever that is, right. Almost as if that has no effect on their spirituality. Now, look, God can love us when we are in deep rebellion and and in sin. Mm -hmm. He certainly does, but that doesn't make that behavior right, healthy, beneficial, good for you or anybody else. Right. And if we are living a lie and a lie is really anything that does not line up with scripture, right? We cannot embrace a, a lie and and try to you know p- sort of put our authoritative stamp on this and say well no I believe that this is actually true because in order to do so we actually have to violate the word we have to right. we have to condemn the word and say that it's wrong because God's word clearly speaks about issues of gender sexuality you know etc as well as any other topic that we could talk about exactly and and that's why I break it down because you know, once I wrote my book and, you know, I started just bringing some of the stories that I witnessed in the fire department, you know, and, and then trying to get pull the scriptural messages out because I truly believe that everything God gives us, including what we've experienced, he wants to us to use it, steward it in a way that's going to draw people to him. So obviously I'm not... Jason's the big drawer of people to Christ. No, no, no. But so I haven't saved a soul. I tell people that all the time. I have never saved anyone whatsoever. I just prayerfully and try my hardest mm-hmm. to follow the commands that Jesus has given me and that That's God, good. through his infallible word, asked me to do. And then knowing he's going to do the rest or possibly not do the rest, but, you know, based, based on his perfect plan. So with that being said, one of the things that comes my way is, 
a real Christian accepts everyone. So a lot of the people that come for me come from the fire service because they think I'm a pro on PTSD. I'm like, I'm actually a pro on uh, telling you about Jesus and that if anything, <laughs> you, you know, and don't get me wrong, I believe in the ways of the world of psychology, all the stuff that God has given us as sure. long as it's grounded in Christ because yeah. it is of this world. It is going to fail if we don't fall back on the foundation of Jesus. We're going right back to the pit of hell. So that is where I stand on that. But people will come to me and say, all right, let's talk about the gay issue. I'm gay or a pastor that I know is preaching. Yes, gays can get married and, and they can go to heaven. I'm like, okay, slow down a little because they'll hit me on that now. And I'm like, think about this. Imagine if I preached to you the true gospel of Jesus Christ and then added, oh, and by the way, which I don't do this, I go out and I cheat on my wife. My wife's cool with me having multiple other relationships and then coming home to her. I'm like, where is that in scripture? And so then it's a false gospel in my impression. So when these pastors are preaching that people can get married, who God says, no, you can't. How do we deal with that? And how do we approach that, bro? You know, so obviously that's a question a lot of people have. And we've seen, it's what I call sort of this, doctrinal deconstructionism mm -hmm. or or even like um you know i think in the book i i refer to it as spiritual extrapolation basically yeah. you know we see one thing in scripture and then we kind of keep going through this this additional deviation from that point until eventually we arrive at a doctrine that is not found in scripture at all but we're still holding on to that and presenting it as if it's christianity that's really the nature of progressivism it's mm -hmm. progress for progress sake rather than progressing towards a destination, which is to be conformed in the image of Christ. Right. And so, you know, when we look at something like, say, um, you know, gay marriage or, you know, just any sort of LGBT, you know, Q issue is, is really what we're looking at is the nature of um, the nature, first of all, of how did God create us? And the Bible mm -hmm. says very clearly that, that he created us male and female. Uh, when Jesus talks about marriage, it's always in the context of male and female. There's multiple passages throughout Scripture, contrary to some of the TikTok videos mm -hmm. that are out there trying to prove <laughs> otherwise, right. Right. Um, that talk about homosexuality being a sin. And, you know, it's important. Like, look, if if I'm dealing with somebody who is uh, that I just meet on the street and maybe they're living a homosexual lifestyle, I'm not mm -hmm. going to start there. I'm right. going to start with, you know, what do you believe about Jesus? Right. You know, because if they don't believe in Jesus, then me just trying to attack their sexuality doesn't really help at all because they're not subscribing to a godly set of values to start with, and they have no reason to if they don't know him. And right. so I want to start with developing a relationship with Jesus, but right. uh, walking away from sin, you know, uh, uh, repentance, you know, acknowledging our own depravity, that is part of the discipleship process, and it's totally. also part of the salvation process. And right. so as soon as we get to the point to where they go, I want to put my faith in Christ, I want them to understand what that means. And that means putting his truth above their truth. You know, we right. don't actually have, you know, you hear this, you know, right. just follow your truth. You know, <laughs> my, my truth gets me lost every time. You know, I don't have right. truth. I have his truth. That's the only truth right. that I, that anyone can possess. And so, um, you know, this is, this is sort of, it kind of comes, I, I think oftentimes it's a trap for, it's like the Pharisees used to ask Jesus all these questions to trap him. I think that that right. question oftentimes is a trap for Christians is because the tendency is to try to all of a sudden make it about this particular behavior, and right. then we just seem bigoted. No, the reality right. is what the Bible teaches is that, you know, it says in James, if you've ever if you've ever broken any law, stumbled at one point, you're guilty of breaking all of them. Right. So if you've ever told a lie, if you've ever, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, said a word in anger, uh, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, cheated on a math test, then what the Bible says is you're guilty of breaking all the law. That doesn't mean that your all sin is equal. That's that's how right. it's commonly put. It actually means that to to tell a lie is the same as as if you committed adultery, if you were in a homosexual relationship. And so technically, outside of Christ, we are all. It, right. the, the same level of depravity. So this is not us on a high horse saying, well, our ways are right. And if you would just get mm -hmm. out of your moral filth, it's going, no, all of us are, you know, without a savior, without hope, like destined for hell. Right. But but it's through his grace. And so, but yes, there is there does have to come a point where there's an acknowledgement of the 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 truth of God's word taking precedent over our own desires and our own heart. And can somebody be struggling with same-sex mm -hmm. attraction? And maintain a great relationship with the Lord? Sure, in the same way that somebody can be struggling with any other addiction or problem right. and, and maintain a relationship with the Lord. But to simultaneously try to call upon the grace of God 
and reject his truth on particular issues, no matter what the issue is, that is living in deception. I'm not going to say that somebody's not saved, but that is living in a form of deception. It's against God, and I believe it's something that as Christians that we should not accept, embrace, or condone. I totally agree with you because, you know, the, the way I look at it is when someone says, you know, Jason, follow your heart. I'm like, don't follow my heart. Please don't <laughs> yeah, follow you know. my heart. It's going to lead you in the wrong direction. <laughs> but there's a reason we should fill our hearts with God's word every right. day, every chance we get, because I want his word to absorb into my heart. Then when my heart's pulling me somewhere, I can hold my quote heart. You know, I'm kind of looking like Indiana Jones here right now from the Temple of Doom, but hold my <laughs> heart up and be like, all right, God, is this what you want for me? Yes or right. no. Right. And I'm a so true good. believer that if it doesn't back up somewhere within the Bible and I can say, wow, God really doesn't want this because I'll be the first a lot of times when I get super excited about something to charge up a mountain, right? I mean, I feel the Holy Spirit's like, Jason, you got to go, you know, and the fireman comes out of me, oh, kick the door and go. And I'm at the <laughs> top, man. I'm sitting at, you know, the top of Mount Everest. I'm like, yo, God, where are you? And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I'm back down here at base camp, kid. Come on back down, you know, and stuff. And then I got to, okay, humble myself slow myself down, get back into his word and make sure I'm on the right path. Because one of the things that that I see so much in this world is the difference between values and rights. I will tell you, I want one set of rights for everyone in America. I really do. One set of rights, constitutional rights. I don't want separate rights for Christians, separate rights, but values, values over here, man. Values, I cannot change. So if someone says, Jason, what would you do if a government came in and said, you know, no one in America could be gay anymore. We'd throw them off roofs and shoot them. Well, I'd call my brothers to arms and be like, no, that's unacceptable because I am protecting their rights. Now people say, oh, there you go. We got you. See, you're, you're, you're saying that the being gay, you're accepting it and they can go to heaven. Like that's over on the value side, my friends. And if we want to have that loving discussion, Let's do it. But that's why I believe in standing up for the rights of all the kick down, the beat down. Because I, I, I see Jesus in so many places going through and protecting those yeah. who were protected, but also saying, sin no more. Come to me. Mm-hmm. Things like that. You know, so I appreciate yeah. your views on that, man. It's, it's no, so awesome. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the other thing I want to go for is I'm kind of hopping ahead, but being a new author myself, and you've been in the world a bit longer than me, Christian. Congrats, by the way, on your book. (laughs) Oh, hey, thanks, man. Yeah, it's been out for a year now. It's kind of crazy and stuff. And yeah. Okay. So, but that's going to leave into a thing called the celebrity problem in the Christian publishing area. (laughs) So, Christian publishing. I kind of got myself in a bind not too long ago because I realized people can get really hurt feelings really fast. And again, people, I know you're a fireman. Well, in the firehouse, we could talk as a Democrat and a Republican is this vote, that vote. And we could actually get a little heated, if you will, which I would say more like, ah, it was just fun talk. Then when the conversation was over, we would stand up, do the dishes because dinner was over. And the second a fire or a shooting or something tough, we would go out the door as friends and handle it because we weren't just locked up on the stupid issues we're talking about at the table. We were able to put them out there. So I I, I thought everyone was like that. And then in a meeting, I said, well, there's no such thing as Christian publishing. And everyone went, oh, I think I stated that wrong. But I kept going. I said, yeah, that's like saying my truck is Christian. (laughs) You know, It's like, how do I operate it? What's inside of it? How am I using it? You know what I mean? Right. And and I made the mistake of writing it. It kind of exploded. And next thing you know, publishers like, "Uh, Jason, no, no, no. But I do kind of stand firm on that. I maybe should have said it in a more respectful way because with my publisher, they're awesome. They have amazing stuff. But then when I look on the shelf of some of these authors I'm next to, their theology lines up nowhere near mine. So let's talk about that for a minute because you kind of hit that. So, you know, I think a lot of people, unless you're kind of inside on this world, you don't really know how it operates. And and uh, I have a great publisher uh, that are they're super supportive of me mm-hmm. of uh, I think the message of the book and and so I've been really blessed by that. I was I was with another publisher you know prior to the one I'm with now, and you know I know a lot of guys in this space. I've been I've been in this right. world for a while. Um, you know I've been on about every podcast show, you know mm-hmm. TV Christian show, show etc. And 
And, you know, what you find very quickly is there's people that are in this business that love the Lord and are using their gifts, resources, talents for the kingdom. And, and they're trying as Christians to maybe write good books, make good art, uh, uh, make good films. And there's other people where it's a job for them. And in some cases, it's even worse than that in that a lot of Christian publishers today, you know, to use kind of that genre label, are owned by secular subsidiary right. or secular parent companies. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these independent Christian publishers that use wants to, you know, kind of be the main guys on the scene, they built their businesses, they were successful, and the founders, you know, or owners sold them off to these secular companies. And so within publishing, there's about five major secular, they call them the big five, that sort of run the worldwide publishing. Now right. you have smaller independents. I'm with an independent Christian publisher mm-hmm. right now. And, and, uh, and, but what that means is that oftentimes some of, uh, some of the decisions on content, they have to go through several tiers. And so, you know, you might give a book to, uh, the intake guy within the Christian mm-hmm. publisher and, you know, he looks at it and, and he goes, Hey, I like this. And he passes it upstream to a senior editor or a senior publisher of some sort. Mm-hmm. And, and they go, Hey, this is great. And then they might have to send it up the food chain to the secular entity, Right. The secular entity, I go, no, we're not publishing mm-hmm. that. I mean, I had that happen with three or four publishers with this book, The Christian Left. And people were saying, we love this. We want to do this. We just have a couple more meetings we need to have. But yeah, it's going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like all that sort of stuff. And then they pass it up to the secular subsidiary or the secular parent company. And they're going, no, we're not going to do right. a book that's, that's you know, basically uh, um, addressing issues on the left. It's not going to happen. Why? Because a lot of them are leftists. And so... Um, within Christian publishing, there's some great publishers, and there are a couple that I think are are really trying to change the landscape of Christian thought intentionally. Right. And Ooh. and I mentioned some of those in the book. They're putting out content by um, by you know basically um, openly gay you know uh, so called Christian writers, um, Christian pastors in that sense. Uh, they're putting out books that are supporting and lining up with. Marxism, critical race theory, et cetera. Right. And they're really kind of changing that scene. And so I think as a Christian, you, we have to be more diligent than ever. Even mm-hmm. publications, you know, have shifted. I mean, Christianity Today is a much more liberal, and I would say at times leftist publication than when it started, you know, when it started very gospel focused. I think they've drifted away from that mm-hmm. in many of their stories. I won't say all of their stories, but in many of their stories. And I think that, you know, just because something has says Christian on it, or mm-hmm. just because somebody says "Dear God" and "Amen" at the end doesn't mean it's a good prayer, you know. Right. <laughs> and so, right. you know, right. I think that, uh, and we've also we've also created kind of this celebrityism, which you mentioned, and that is anybody that has a story or a testimony, regardless of how good their message is, regardless of how you know discipled they are, how how uh, developed they are in their faith or the theology, a lot of times they get a book deal. And and so you have people that have maybe gone through situations or maybe just were, you know, celebrity figures or something that came to Christ. And I think about people like, um, uh, you know, Kanye or Justin Bieber, mm-hmm. who are and not that they're necessarily getting Christian publishing deals. They're much more in the mainstream world. But these guys are, are confessed believers that I think are, you know, really trying to use their gifts and talents for the Lord to the way that they know how. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that we should make them pastors tomorrow. They're, they're, they're still in many ways new in their faith. And, you know, although I don't know them personally, you know, I would see that there is an opportunity there for more discipleship for individuals like this. Right. And with their gifts and talents and passion, these guys are going to be awesome for the kingdom. But it doesn't mean that we should be looking to them for theology the day after they get saved. And so, but that tends to be the problem within, you know, uh, the Christian industry is because these these names and and not even those guys specifically. I mean, we can think of a lot more people that are more mm-hmm. uh, involved in the in the the kind of Christian side of publishing and music, etc. We see a lot with Christian recording artists. Something big happens; they're a big money maker, but they're not really established, and so they fall right. apart a couple of years down the road, or they deconvert, or whatever it is. And all sorts of people go, "How did that happen?" Well, it got happened because we took somebody. And we did the exact opposite of what Paul tells us. We took a recent convert, we put him on a platform, we made him a, we made him a you know kind of a, a leader in the church, so to speak, shaping this. You're listening to the Edify Podcast Network. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. 
Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. This is the Edify Podcast Network. Welcome back. So honestly, when I first became a Christian, you know, that that classic thing people say, you know, once you you read some of Calvin's stuff, keep your mouth shut for a little while, right? You know, and I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I don't call myself a Calvinist or this or that. I just, man, I, I'm a follower of Christ, trying my best with strong leadership with men above me who I feel have strong doctrinal understanding feeding into me. Because I'll be honest, when I first became a Christian, I'm listening to my pastor, I could do that, dude, let me up there, you know, and, and I get that because that's the un. <laughs> humble the one and i don't think you're purposely it's satan pushing you or oh no. it's more your flesh that you you want you're so excited you know? but here's where i see it man those guys like justin and kanye man dude, settle down Get, I, I know there's a great church down there in la uh under john MacArthur. go hang out with those guys for a while and let them kind of lead you you know let them use you for your evangelical outreach where you have while introducing the truth and 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 breaking it down in a way that you can understand it because they just want to go out there and fill a stadium which i think is awesome but if we don't have it backed in the word of god like you said man it's the left's gonna hijack it it's gonna be taken you know and stuff and so i i totally get that man so thank you for uh yeah and, and, that and let me just you know say this about those guys in particular i think that you know i i, I feel like justin exhibits a lot of humility when he's on the stage mm -hmm. right. about his faith i feel like he's trying to do everything he can to say it's not me it's him you right. know which is the right answer it doesn't it doesn't mean that if you you know get saved early on or you get saved and you're a new convert that you can't talk about jesus we want everybody right. talking about jesus right. but i think that and and this would go for even somebody who's established i've been i've been a pastor for you know, over 20 years, I still don't go around saying it's me, not God. You know, I, I want the same answer. I want, it's not me, it's him. You know, that's always right. the right answer. Um, and I think that, you know, oftentimes it's not these individuals fault. It's they, you know, we have, uh, it's very difficult to, to disciple celebrities for a couple reasons. One, it's harder for them to show up at church without it being a distraction. And so sometimes right. they just don't go because they don't want to disrupt things for the pastor or for the church itself. And everybody's turned around and looking at who's back there if they're a big enough name. And not to say that, you know, I'm not implying and nor do I do in the book that somebody like Justin or Kanye or the Christian left. I think that, mm -hmm. you know, they're right, new in their faith. I'm excited about them. I've actually written a lot of articles, you know, in the past supporting, you know, their journeys in this. But but I think even more so if we take this into kind of the more mainstream Christian world, um, mm -hmm. we see this with even like Christian recording artists where they don't have a lot of accountability. They're in a different town every day, you right. know, playing music, everything else. They're not really plugged into a local church. Uh, nobody's really looking at their behavior. They're in hotel rooms alone all the time, you know, this sort of stuff. And after a while, that can wear on you. And I think this is where accountability has to come in, where discipleship or maturity, all these things need to really have time to allow that to assimilate in their life. You know, so that we can, um, I think, you know, help protect them as well as the body of Christ from some of the ideas that come out of, um, you know, maybe uh, somebody who's not fully discipled. Right. Yeah. And that's where I'm going with there. So uh, in agreement with you on that, where I was going to stick with you and you brought it in so much better is being discipled as they're going through this. I totally agree, you know, because I never want to be uh, one of my biggest things that drives me nuts is the the salvation police, <laughs> you know, like, okay, really, you're going <laughs> to talk about who's saved, who's not saved. Right. We, right, we, right. You know, uh, you know, lovingly say, I'm not the Paul Washer out here, <laughs> you know, as yes. I love the guy, I love his theology. But sometimes, you know, it's like the first yeah. thing we're doing is trying to, are they really saved or not? Let's look at their timeline and how they right. change. Yeah, it's just, that's and, just not our job. It's not, it's our, not job, our job. Right? And, it, but the job is, like I say, to, to fall under submission to leaders. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right. That that will lead them in the right direction. So thanks for uh, definitely bringing up because yeah, for, for me personally, you know, I, I've been blessed, you know, since the book and, you know, people love the firefighting aspect. Oh, the firefighter coming to Christ. And then, oh, you came to Christ in the middle of Oakland. I'm like, yeah, you know, right across from San Francisco and under Berkeley. So then there, there's <laughs> people that want to hear that story because I, I know people get mad. Well, like, right. yeah, I came to Christ since the, in the modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. It's pretty awesome, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but with that being said, there's a reason I have some amazing, quote, big churches right down the street from my house here in California. Yeah. I go to a little 
Baptist church, you know, that I actually have direct access with the pastor, the elders, because I have right. been handed this amazing ministry and I'm trying to steward it properly. And if I landed into the, one of the jobs that was offered to me was outreach at a church. Okay. But my question back was, well, what, what pastors do I have direct access to every moment of the day? And they're like, none. You can't do that then, man, because I'm not ready for that position mm. because I truly in my heart know I am not a pastor. Are things maybe changing in me? Well, possibly. But what I know is I'm a paramedic. I'm a fireman. I want to spend a few minutes with the really hard cases, then deliver them to right. the people who can go much deeper and do surgery, if you will, on them. You know, the yeah, great, no, that's it, a great that's a great analogy. Yeah, yeah, and stuff. And so so I, I do appreciate that. So here's I'm gonna drop a kind of a bigger question on you. What do you think is the biggest thing we should be watching out for with the left attacking the church? What is something major that they're throwing our way right now that we should be on watch for? So so I think that the the attack right now for the church is happening both externally and internally. And, you know, this kind of goes back to that Trojan horse analogy is that mm -hmm. there is um, there is sort of this uh, there was a gift that was given to the church. Uh, one of them was called social justice. And mm -hmm. it was the idea that like, hey, we got to this. This is going to help us help more people and and clothe those in need and feed them and, and comfort mm -hmm. them. And there were some on the surface, some really great things. But what mm -hmm. came with that was sort of this internal uh, um, um, unpacking of a Marxist cultural Marxist mindset within right. the church for many people that has led a lot of people to deception internally. Simultaneously, we have a lot of attacks on the outside. I was actually doing some work today. Uh, I've been I've been reading a lot of um, writings about World War II, the mm -hmm. Third Reich, Nazi Germany, mm -hmm. and really looking at some of the comparisons of how our culture is today. And it's interesting, you know, when you look at, you know, this idea of Christian nationalists, we hear this, we hear this, you know, term used a lot. And, you know, uh, the best example of Christian nationalism was in the Third Reich was the German uh, church, the Nazified German church. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they had a skewed picture of Jesus. They actually didn't believe in a biblical Jesus. They believed in a Jesus who was uh, not a Jew, who uh, likely did not grow up, you know, in in uh, the places that it says in Scripture, in Jerusalem, Bethlehem, mm -hmm. and, and Nazareth, etc. Uh, but mm -hmm. that he probably grew up in in places like Iran, or some people believe that, you know, he came from, you know, other, you know, Greek towns, or these sorts of things. They kind of can't, because they, they couldn't have a Jesus who was Jewish. It didn't line up with Nazism. So they had to sort of evolve their idea of Ju Jesus. And basically, they ended up with this picture of Jesus where they called it the Aryan Jesus. And he was a strong figure who hated the Jews. And he and and as Christians that that followed this Aryan, quote unquote, Aryan Jesus, they believed that their, uh, their you know, contribution to society, one of them was to to destroy Judaism and the Jews themselves, because they saw the Jews as being responsible for the destruction of Rome, and they felt like they were doing what they would call preventative justice to uh, basically get ahead of it in Germany by not allowing the Jews to get to a point where they could destroy the German people. So they were going to basically extinguish them now, and mm -hmm. and so that was the heart. That was the theology behind some of the heart of this. Now, what we have today is we have after January six. There were all these articles put out by the media blaming January 6th on Christians. Right. In the same way, there was, you know, right. all sorts of rumors about the, the destruction of Rome was at the result mm -hmm. of Christians and Christians burning the city or this or that. Mm -hmm. And the, most of those things have been completely unfounded. Uh, they, mm -hmm. they you know, tons of historic, you know, historians have, have shown that to be false. Uh, but yet there was this rumor that developed and basically this fake news that developed to to attack that. And so Christians and Jews were villainized in Rome to as if they were responsible for the fall of Rome. Uh, when I think Rome just kind of, you know, this is what happens when a when a nation doesn't follow God for this long and kind of self, you know, destructs. And and so what we have in this country is we had, you know, a bunch of wackos on January 6th, you know, do what wackos do, but yet it is being blamed on Christians. And because there was another group of, you know, where the majority of people were having a meeting, praying, you know, talking about godly values, talking about a return to constitutionalism, all these sorts of things, totally unrelated from what happened of this, this, uh, this attack on the Capitol. 
And so we are seeing Christians villainized in the media and in the news in a way in which we have not seen really in the life of the United States of America. And I think that this is something we have to keep our eyes on because the the media, the left, the state is going to look for a reason to do whatever they need to 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 basically institute, you know, what would be called preventative justice. And a lot of people are using that term already, even Christian writers, uh, guys like Eric Mason and others that are kind of these these woke Christian thinkers are using those terms. And and so where does that take us? And I'm not trying to say that what we have are Nazis today in America that are doing no, this. I hear you. But I think that we have to we, we we are seeing the the seeds, the spark of some of the same ideology that led to the Holocaust. And I think that we as believers have to watch that. We have to really know our constitution. We have to know our rights. We have to show up at the polls. Um, that's not Christian nationalism. That's being a good citizen of a nation. And that is calling upon that nation to return, not to some sort of weird, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, belief or paganism or something like that, but to return to biblical values, um, because there is, you know, biblical values are always for the best interests of all people, because Christianity is the only faith that would give people the freedom to choose something different and still give them dignity in the process without right. throwing them off a building or whatever else. Right. You know, it's the only right. faith that actually has true tolerance towards people as we are hoping that they come into a relationship with the Lord. No, you nailed it. And so that, I, I love the way that you bring that up because whether they're purposely or not, to the ideologies, sometimes we look at some and go, oh, this is working. It, it's now people are being drawn to what I'm throwing out there. But then when you hold it up to times past, there you find it. Right. Wow. I know you're not calling people Nazis, but you look at they did the same thing to get a certain ideology out there. So to go with that before we uh, start start uh, going on to, to the finish up topics here, I want to hit that with you out here in California. We just had a big election. And they use that. Yeah. So I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but I do love me some college football. Okay. And I, I don't listen to anything <laughs> else except the plays, the setup, you know, the pageantry. It's just, you know, it feels so yeah. good when you turn it on to just have some fun going, shut everything down. But all of a sudden the, the political ads would kick on, you know, because I was watching on Hulu or whatever it was. Yeah. And what crushed me was all of a sudden a commercial came on that said anti-vaxxer Trump people are trying to get rid of Gavin News. like, wait, we have the worst schools, you know, out of 50 states, we're number 40. <laughs> I just had to pay uh, my registration on my truck was $1,100. Yeah. All these things that are going on there. We, we have a homeless issue out here. And I, and be, uh, loving on the homeless people was my first ministry, even before I knew I had a ministry as a fireman that we would just, I would go and take care of them off duty. So I love the homeless folks and I understand the level of mental illness and the issues that are there and stuff. And, and it's a sad thing that we need to look at holistically. And I'm not talking of the world holistically. I'm talking about of all the issues and backing up with the Bible to help them. And that was the reason I was like, enough of this guy, whether, you know, you want to say, well, he was sitting up there in the French laundry, the fancy restaurant. Well, okay. That was just <laughs> one of many things. That's just one sure. tiny insight to what the guy is doing on a daily basis or, you, you know, Nancy getting her hair done saying she didn't know the laws of the state at the time. <laughs> You're like, wait, you make the laws in America and you don't recognize I can't use that. You can't use that, you know. Right, so maybe right. that was the driving force that got people fired up. But for me, it wasn't. It was going down this list. It was going down to, man. I believe if you want a medicine, take it. If you don't want a medicine, take it. If it's a medicine that can eradicate something, oh, I'm all in. If it's a medicine that's not going to eradicate something, have the talk with your doctor, with your family, and, and figure it out yourself. And so all of a sudden now, I was made into this ultra right wing, which as in your book, you talk about right, left and all that. We didn't even hit that. I've never believed in right or left wing is a true thing because I'm like, yo, I conservatively hate and try to liberally love. So what does that make me? You know, <laughs> so I appreciate you bringing that up, man, because it was really something tough and it hit home out here that people were now yeah. labeling me for something like that. Yeah, there's obviously this villainization of of Christians, and and I think that that I mean I think Hollywood's been doing that for a long time. You know, the Christian mm -hmm. historically in the film or the the 
the the TV show is always kind of the the legalistic, the judgmental, you know, type. If they are going to have a faith character at all, that's usually how they're presented. Uh, it's the person throwing the Bible, you know, that sort of thing, you know, judging somebody for you know their lifestyle or whatever that is. And they, they, they really just don't understand the the nature of the gospel. They think it's about externals when really the gospel is about the heart. And mm-hmm. I think that that's lost on a lot of people. Um, you know, when it comes to, say, something like, you know, we see these political ads. I mean, the interesting thing is, in, in, you know, to kind of, I guess, go with what we were talking about just previously, is that the the Christian nationalists in Germany, they were the Christians that were towing the, the, the state, you know, agenda, um, who were... Um, had an allegiance to the state over the scriptures. They were willing to totally disregard the scriptures. I mean, some of them literally, you know, toss them aside, you know, toss the Bible aside in order to pick up Mein Kampf, toss the cross mm-hmm. aside in order to pick up a swastika. And and these were the Christian nationalists. Christians that we have in this country today, uh, many of them, I'm sure, voted for Trump because of the options mm-hmm. that were available. Uh, these are not Christians by and large. Not to say that there's not some, you know, crazies out there or whatever, but these are not Christians by and large that are willing to put anybody's agenda, whether it's Trump or the state or the Republican Party or or anyone, right. over the gospel. That's where they would draw the line. As long as they can I actually had a Catholic priest tell me, he said, I, I said, Where are you at on this whole, you know, political issue? How do you handle it? And he said, Lucas, and this is rare for a Catholic priest, I think. He goes, Lucas, he goes, here's the deal. He goes, I've read both the Republican Party platform and the the Democratic Party platform. He goes, as a Catholic, in order, and I'm in South Bend, Indiana. This is like outside right. of the Vatican. This is like the most Catholic place in the world. <laughs> right, you know? right. uh, and, and so he said, uh, he goes, when I read the Democratic Party platform, in order to ascribe to that, just by saying, yes, I'm a Democrat, I am committing nine, uh, um, basically, I think what he called intrinsic sins. He goes, right. because there are nine different things just in the party platform that are against Catholic faith. You know, we, we think of mostly, you know, abortion. He goes, there's actually nine different things in there that's against the Catholic faith. He goes, when I look at the Republican Party platform, the platform itself does not require me to violate any aspect of my faith. And so mm-hmm. he goes, for the time, that is why I vote conservatively, uh, because I am not forced to violate my faith in order to do so. It is the better option for me as a Christian. That's not Christian nationalism. That is right. just that is that is using your faith to help dictate and shape your politic, uh, and it should. Faith is upstream of culture and politics, mm-hmm. and so if, of course it should be like that. The, the true Christian nationalists, in my opinion, today are the Christian left who are you know rejecting Scripture and God's Word and universal truths in order to elevate the agenda of the state and carry these things out. And for that, we should be worried. That is what is you know a great danger to the church because it is spreading. They're convincing. They're putting a lot of money into ads, into books, into politics, into films, etc., trying to lead, I think, a lot of people astray. And is this the, is this the end times? Is this the last days? I don't know. But I know it's right. the times. And so we have right. to learn how to walk in the times that we're in right now right. and how right. to stand up and how to persevere in the midst of this. Right. Let's keep our lamps full. You know? Right on. Stuff. Right so, on. So, yeah, so, hey, man. So the last thing I want to go with you uh, before we close out here is, you know, we've talked a lot lot of topics here that, you know, might be a little edgy, if you will, and stuff. So for the, quote, average listener who may be like, golly, man, this is kind of stirring me up. How can we leave them with a little bit of hope and with yeah. some, and you know, this is now tapping into you as a pastor. Where can we leave them with some hope that that we will get through and how they can uh, feel good during these tough times? Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I, I, um, I'm an optimist. I, I, uh, I'm a positive person. I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, somebody that's always thinks that the the, the sky is falling. But this right. is a challenging time. We mm-hmm. can prosper in the midst of challenging times. When you look at the Exodus story, um, during all of the plagues that were happening in Egypt, um, the the people of Israel, the, the Hebrews, they prospered. Um, they were protected because they had the blood of the Lamb on their doorways. You know, when the when the uh, the Passover happened, and so um, I think that we can prosper despite some of the I'll call them uh, the tribulations of the day around like that, us yeah. that that we can prosper in the midst of that. And so that's that has to be our mindset. Now in order to do that, we have to stay close to the Lord. We have to make a commitment to his word. Um and I think that we have to uh make sure that the church that we're involved in 
uh, is, you know, maintains a biblical worldview. You know, at the back of this book, right. The Christian Left, I provide sort of an outline and, and a list of questions right. that you can talk to your pastor about and really, you know, kind of ask of your church or the ministry that you're attending to make sure that you're not in a woke church and a progressive church, right. a Christian leftist church. Because a lot of times it's hard to tell. I mean, we had a mega church right. here in our area. Um, that, you know, I just got a phone call a couple weeks ago from a bunch of their members and they all said the same thing. Hey, I just walked out of service. Um, you know, would you take a listen to our pastor's message and tell me what you think? Was I justified in doing so? And look, I'm not here to meddle in other churches affairs and, you know, but, but I listened to the service and I'm going, man, that's, that's basically a soft version of critical race theory that just happened on the stage. And I understand why somebody walked out. And this is a, this is historically a good gospel, Jesus loves you, John 3.16 sort of church. And it doesn't mean the whole ministry is is thwarted now or it's done forever. But this is this is something I think I hope that they address internally. I actually wrote them, you know, hoping that they would kind of take heed with that. Um, I haven't gotten a response yet at this time, but that's what it is. Um, <laughs> right. and, and I think that, you know, we have to start voting with our feet and our dollars and our tithe money and really make sure that we're investing in churches that maintain a biblical worldview. I agree, man, because, you know, we always talk about planting the seed, but right now I see uh, Satan planting some seeds in there too, you know, in, uh, in the churches and they, they, they can take off and grow, like you say, if we water those, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, I mean, yep. they're not going to yep. be, you know, the, the church will never be beat, let's keep it real. But, you know, in these times right now, he's really pulling through. So, man, you know what, Lucas, I so appreciate you on so many levels, man. Uh, this book, I'm telling you, friends, yeah, I'm, I'm holding it up there because we are going to be putting this on my Facebook page and other places. Cool. Uh, the Christian Left, um, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church by Pastor Lucas Miles. My friends, pick this up. It is such a good book. Uh, Lucas, where can people get a hold of it? Where they can get a hold of a more review? All that good stuff. Yeah. So uh, they can head over to lucasmiles.org. The book is available, of course, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those sorts of places. If they want an autographed copy and to really support me directly, they can head over to lucasmiles.org. That's L-U-C-A-S-M-I-L-E-S.org. And they can order a copy there. And uh, I sign every copy that we ship out. So that's available for you. You can also grab my, my other book, Good God, uh, that I had written previously. And so, um, and then if they want to check out, they got links to the podcast, all those things, as well as speaking to her. And maybe I'm going to be in a city near them uh, in the coming months. I'm hoping so. And, and to back it up, my friends, there you go. Uh, I'm going to brag a little right now. There's my autograph copy. So <laughs> <laughs> I got it right, right there. On. All right, Lucas, uh, such a pleasure having you on, man. Definitely going to want to bring you back for some more things, including this little thing called deconstruction I want to talk to you about later oh, on. Oh, yeah, season. we could go <laughs> on to that for a while. Absolutely. But Jason, thank you so much. I'm excited for your show and uh, congrats on everything you're doing. All right, brother. I appreciate you too.